When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Coming up on episode 216 of Wheel Bearings, Robbie rides a big BMW motorcycle, and we've got a pair of Ford plug-in hybrids on opposite ends of the spectrum with the Escape and the Lincoln Aviator. We've also got first drives of the Ford Mustang Mach-E GT, the Tundra, Toyota Tundra, and some information about GM's upcoming Ultra Cruise system, along with an interview with Dave Parasek and Dave, Darren Palmer from Ford. All that and more coming up next. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. This is episode 216 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abul Samet from Guidehouse Insights. I am Nicole Wakelin from Autobytel. I am Roberto Baldwin from TechCrunch. And uh, let's see, who wants to go first? Let's uh, let's have Robbie go first and tell us about something a little different that he drove or rode. So, so, so this week I rode uh, the BMW R18 motorcycle. This is BMW's cruiser. Uh, cruisers are typically uh, something like this, this big. You're, you're typically going to see from Harley Davidson. And what BMW has done is they've made a very, very nice Harley Davidson. They've made the best Harley Davidson. <laughs> That's what with they've the done right now with the R18. <laughs> With a boxer engine, yes. Yeah, so you have the huge boxer engines, kabla, 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 shooting back and forth. Um, if you've ever seen a BMW motorcycle, you see those huge giant just sticking out the side. They're 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 ginormous. And when you're riding, like it's you know it's balanced, it's fine. But when you stop, you can feel it like moving the bike back and forth ever so slightly. So it's like... You're missing this, but I'm moving my hands back and forth like I'm doing a little... Like a very tiny cha-cha. So... No, it's... The R18, I think, doesn't that imply that it's an 1800cc engine? 1800cc. Now, my second car was a Honda Civic. Yeah, yeah. It's bigger than... 
<laughs> my, my first car had a two liter engine. Uh, my second car had a 1.6 liter engine. And so this motorcycle not only has a bigger engine, I, I believe it has more power than that vehicle. Um, it was a Honda, 90 Honda Civic DX. Um, I think it had like 89-ish horsepower. This motorcycle has 91 horsepower and 116 pound-feet of torque. And it only weighs, well, it only, only, and, and only. relatively speaking, versus a car, 761 pounds. So it's it's not light in, in motorcycle terms. This is not a, it, it is not a, a super bike. It is not a sport bike. It is not a, D, it's not a dual sport. It's not any of those. It's a cruiser. And it's unapologetically a cruiser, just big and chrome and shiny. And it's very, it's a very pretty bike. It's, 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 it's beautiful. It's got all the shiny bits that you want. And, you know, you can make it loud. Um, uh, here's a here's a fun little thing that I want to share with the world. Um, whenever you see like a Harley or anyone else riding a cruiser and they're just like, bum, bum, they don't have to do that. <laughs> that is not a thing that needs to be done. That is not that doesn't keep the motor running. It doesn't unless it's unless the the, the timing is this horribly off. Um, they don't need to do that. They're just doing that. <laughs> um, someone asked me once that, so I I just, I just want to tell the world. Um, if you're wondering why Harley Davidsons are riding around going blum blum, just 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 a. Uh, 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 just revving the engine like all the time just because because it's loud that's <laughs> why they're they doing can. it because they can it's like me driving around the, in, a, in a car with an air horn just for the hell of it um, <laughs> um so yeah so that's that's my 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 little uh jump on the yeah you, that doesn't need to get done and unless they're very bad at at, at, at driving and, and using a clutch um uh, anyway, so yeah, it, it does. It makes a loud blom blom if you uh, if you so desire. Uh, it has three riding um, modes. It has rain, which is you know for the rain slick. It has rock, and it has roll. So okay, so it's a German motorcycle that is looking at an American uh, motorcycle, Harley Davidson, which is about as American as apple pie when it comes to vehicles. Uh, built in Milwaukee. It, well, they're built all over the world, by the way. Harley-Davidson aren't just built in Milwaukee. They're built in different regions because it's easy, it's cheaper to sell in a region if you build it there. Um, so it's, it's a German motorcycle built essentially to be an American motorcycle, and its drive modes are rock and roll, <laughs> which is, so what, what is sort of, you know. So what, what is the difference? So uh, uh, rock is the loud powerful it's sport mode it's essentially sport mode for for the bike it's loud it's uh you, you get more low in torque it's ready to rock and roll it's ready to it's ready to rock roll 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 is uh more subdued um it's 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 really nice for sort of riding around town where you're you're shifting non-stop you're just like Ugh, every stop sign every stoplight it's it's a much easier smoother riding um, experience. Uh, it's not as loud, so you're not, you know, someone rode by my house last night and put off, you know, set off a, a, a car alarm because they could. <laughs> because they could. That's the only reason they did that, people. <laughs> because they could. Because they could. Because they could. Um, yeah, no, it's so, so it has rock, it has roll, it's uh, very comfortable, it's very much a, a cruiser. Um, it has this really nice clutch uh, trans and, and transmission. It's very easy to shift. It's very, but you also get that nice clunk. Um, when you ride a cruiser, you get these 
when you're shifting gears, when you, when you ride a motorcycle, it's it's nice when you can hear that clunk, like as, as, as the, the as the bike is shifting gears. As the gears engage, you get clunk. It's very <laughs> satisfying. Um, you know, you don't really hear it on, on cars, but it's nice when you're like, so there you go. So that's what it's like riding the R18. It's a, it's a very nice bike. I'm going to have a video of it and another variant of it um, on my YouTube channel at some point uh, in the hopefully the near future. Um, it starts at uh, $17,500. It is not a cheap bike. Um, motorcycles are, well, for the most, you know, if you want a nice motorcycle, they're, they're pretty expensive. The one I rode had the uh, premium package, which is it has adaptive headlights. It has hill start control, so you don't, sl- you know, roll backwards. If you've uh, ever ridden a motorcycle in the city, um, you, you know, what you end up doing is using your right foot to sort of hold the brake and kind of. And I still do that even when I have hill con- hill start control on motorcycles. Uh, but this has it, so it won't like roll back into the you know a Hyundai sitting behind you. Um, it's got a reverse assist, which I haven't tried yet. I don't know, but I don't know. <laughs> uh, and it has cruise control. A lot more motorcycles have cruise control now. Uh, it's nice when you're on long rides because, you know, if you keep your, your hand and your wrist and your arm in the same position for, like, three hours, it kind of starts to hurt. Uh, so the price that I tested it at, uh, $22,615. So, like, uh, let's see. So you could buy a Ford Maverick <laughs> or you can buy the 2021 uh, BMW R18. And I'll be riding a different variant of this later on and I'll, I'll give you an update it's supposed to have some other stuff on it so but uh no i i i i okay so here i always whenever i think of um of cruisers i think of boomers <laughs> yes. i am i am like right smack hardcore gen x like you can't get more gen x than me and so uh but no i i actually enjoyed it i don't know if i would buy something like this i'm still not uh i'm just like eh, when it comes to cruise to me it's kind of almost like the suv of motorcycles um but yeah, no, it's 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 a nice bike if you're looking for a cruiser. So how how's that price compare uh-huh. to you know a, a similarly equipped Harley? Oh, let's look or, that up. Or you know the the cruisers from the the Japanese brands like a Honda, you know, like a Goldwing or uh, I mean, is the, would the Goldwing be classed as a cruiser? I mean, I know I think they yeah, they, they like a Goldwing, but that's a big V twin too. Yeah, those are, I mean those are are. Um, the Goldwing's just something else entirely. That is, it is uh, an amazing, you know, they're, they're just huge, gigantic. They're, man, how big is a Goldwing? Goldwing's like the size, the size of, of an, an MG. expedition, I think. <laughs> yeah, they're about the size of an expedition. <laughs> so, okay, so I'm looking at what we got here on the, um, the old Harley uh, website for cruisers. I'm looking for something that's sort of, Close to it, maybe the Heritage Classic, which starts at 19. So it's about the same. You know, we're talking, uh, you know, you have things that are 19, 20, 18. So it's about the same price. You know, you can get the nice, the inexpensive Harley, the Iron 883 for, you know, 10,000, which is a nice entry level uh, price for a motorcycle or the 1200. Um, you know, these are, these are kind of smaller bikes though. If you're, you know, if you're a big person like me, you end up going 1200 or, or larger, anything. 800 and below, you sort of look like a bear riding a tricycle. Um, I think yeah, that's look, what you get because I like that image in my head. Yeah, look, look, <laughs> looking, at, looking at the, the Honda uh, motorcycle website, um, they've got the, the Goldwings under uh, touring bikes. 
and uh, cruisers. They've got like the Furies, like ten thousand six hundred. The Shadow Phantoms, uh, seventy nine hundred seventy. Shadow Arrows seventy eight, so yeah, about eight eight to ten thousand dollars for for a cruiser from from Honda. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, you're you're, you're it's you have to remember it's still a BMW. BMWs, uh, their DS, their dual sport bikes are amazing. They're also very expensive. Um, so you know you're paying that you're you're paying that BMW. Um, tax. you know, that, that, that BMW tax. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, if you're, if you're looking at a three series or you're looking at a Honda Accord, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's gonna, there's gonna be a, there's gonna be a difference. Yeah. But it, 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 it is a very pretty bike. Um, I'm sure those people who have the money and, and are looking for something that's not from well, Honda or Yamaha, but you know, maybe not a Harley. Um, they're probably the, the people are, I, I'm thinking people are probably cross shop this with Harley. People who aren't hardcore Harley Davidson riders, um, people who ride Harley Davidson, they're hardcore. Um, they're typically older than me, and that's the only thing they're going to buy because they very much loved Easy Rider when it came out. <laughs> <laughs> that's their entire reason. Their yeah. entire reason is Peter Fonda and <laughs> Dennis Hopper. This is where that's I tell it. you this. That's yeah, or 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 they can get an Indian motorcycle. Um, yeah. I think. Polaris yeah. Indian now? Yeah, yeah, that was a. I, I, I grew up with a lot of uh, bikers. I, it's a weird thing to talk about, but yeah, my parents were friends with a lot of bikers, and so it was. But yeah, it, it was more about meth than it was motorcycles. But whatever, that's not. That's a whole other different story. Let's. Uh, none of those people would have bought a BMW. I can tell you that they would have been. They are a Honda or anything. They were like, ah. they bought Honda ATCs, but they were not going to ride a Honda uh, uh, Cruiser. No. Not, not, no, their hog was not going to be a Honda. <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah. I was at the LA Auto Show, I think like three or four years ago. Um, they had, they, uh, they, they were showing up, they revealed the, like, I think it was an R18 concept. So at the time before it went in production. And mm -hmm. I remember, you know, uh, was it Ian Robertson, I think, rode out on it? It, so, it was some high up executive from, uh, from BMW rode out onto the stage on that R18 concept. And <clears throat> that sucker was loud and huge. <laughs> it is, yeah. It, it, it's funny because the loudness is all behind you. So when you're riding, yeah. you're like, oh, this isn't that loud. But then everyone behind you is like, Bruh. dude, it's so noisy. <laughs> especially, oh, and it's, especially if it's, it was an inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That where he wrote it. Oh yeah, so it's a, it's just echoes. It's just yep. whoa, 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 reverberates, and they probably they probably pipe some in, you know, just probably, the you yeah. know the, the the sort of put, the whole put, put loud pipe save lives thing. Amplified it. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. Enjoy. <laughs> All right, lovely. All right, Nicole, what did you drive? I drove today, and I drove it a lot today because uh, we went for our little mini family road trip. I was in the 21 Lincoln Aviator, um, and we took it up to the White Mountains in New Hampshire, which is like a two-hour drive from my house through twisty, turny roads. Like, it's these highways, nice swooping highways there, and then all these, like, steep hills and twists and turns. That is a fantastic road trip car. It's fantastic. It was so comfortable and so quiet. Like, you think about why it's like a three row SUV. It has seating for an entire army. It's huge. Um, and you, you're kind of looking at like, who would need this? And as soon as I took it two hours up into the white mountains and then two hours back, I'm like, Oh, I would need this if I was doing family road trips. Cause this is amazing. Um, it is 
so soft, so comfortable, so quiet. It is all the things you want in a great big luxury SUV. And it's easy. You can carry on an easy conversation with the people in the second row and even in the third row because I made my daughter ride back there for a little while. I'm like, go sit in the third row so I can see if I can talk to you without screaming at you. Um, you can because it's, <laughs> it's quiet enough. Um, this is a hybrid. It's a plug-in hybrid. It has a surprisingly short all-electric range. It was, it's only 21, 21 miles of electric range. Um, so you don't get a lot of EV range, but you do get some. Um, which is like, okay, that's cool. Like it, we drove it around a little bit and I was trying to eke out every last little bit. Um, but it takes like three hours to charge at a level two charger. So fairly, I don't have the battery size in front of me, but it's, you know, you're not getting a heck of a lot of range uh, for your three I hours. It's about 16 or 17 kilowatt hours, if I recall. Okay. So you're not getting a lot of range for your, your, um, big battery because it, it not only does it fit an army, but it's the size of a tank. So, um, it's huge. Uh, but you know, well, it's not powerful. as gargantuan it's as a navigator. But it still feels big. Like it's it's very boxy. It's very mm-hmm. square. There's nothing. There's no. You know how they're like trying to coupify all the SUVs. Like let's make a sloping roof. Let's make this look like it's sexy and small. And Lincoln's like, hell no, big, huge, honking SUV. Great big everything. Like I pulled into a parking space, and. It was narrow, but I had enough room, and the car was screaming. I was like, beep, 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 orange lights, red lights, beeping, everything. I'm like, look, if you weren't so big, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Just calm yourself down, car. So it it feels huge when you're driving it, um, but powerful. It's got, like, plenty of power. You never, despite feeling big and, like, kind of almost unwieldy in narrow spots, um, it drives nicely because it's got enough power. You don't feel like, okay, come on, this huge thing is not moving. Uh, has some really cool like luxury bits and pieces. This one had some upgrades that included a 28 speaker Ravel audio system that just sounded amazing. Um, it was one of those systems that you listen to a song that you've listened to a hundred thousand times and suddenly you hear extra things that you never noticed in the song before because the sound quality is so good like oh there's extra little background bits in there that never really came through before and it also has 30 way 30 30 30 way adjustable seats i felt like i was like kind of like one two three there was there's individual extenders to support each of your thighs like just need a little support in the left thigh or you want a little support in the yeah, right Just thigh. in case you're not you quite symmetrical. You want both supported. Right. Yeah. Little, and even, you only want individual. You can do that. You can pick which thigh it is. And you can make, the seats are super comfortable. Um, I did have one weird thing. So it has this interior. It's, the interior in this one is kind of like this burgundy. I forget the color now. I can't find it on here. Um, but it's this really dark sort of burgundy. And it's leather. And there's a little bit of suede like on the A-pillar. It's this very fancy. But, okay, so when I, in the 80s, my uncle sold Cadillacs and he had this Cadillac and I swear to God, the red in the interior in this, all I could think of looking at the dashboard is like, oh my gosh, it's Uncle Gene's Cadillac. Like it looked just <laughs> like it. I don't know that it's a good thing. The interior made me think of a 1980 something Cadillac, <laughs> but that's what it looked like. Uh, but you know, it, it, over the top, but in a good way, I like this, but here's your thing. So if you want this fancy... SUV that has seating for an army and has 21 miles of electric range and 77 cubic feet for cargo and a 10.1 inch touchscreen with the fancy 1980s Cadillac red leather situation happening, you are going to pay 
$88,335 for it. That's a lot. Like, that's, this is... That's this, a... Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's a... Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I know it's a luxury SUV, and I get it. Like, luxury SUVs are not going to be, that are that big, are not going to be, you know, $20,000 propositions. But that is a lot of money for an SUV. Like, you have to be someone who has to, I feel like you would have to be someone who is driving a lot, like, constantly in your car for long distances, doing nothing but, like, practically living in it, taking your kids to dance lessons and football practice and school and play dates and to, to make that that kind of money worth it in an SUV, it's a lot of money. On the other I mean, hand, it's a lot of you, luxury, but it's a lot of money. You know, if you have a lot of money, then you tend to be less concerned yes. about that. So, you know, I mean, it, if you are yes. someone that can afford to spend, you know, $90,000 on a new car, then yes. you, you tend not to think about that quite so much. I guess, but would you, but I don't, I, maybe this, I should say it this way. Would I spend $90,000 on this car? I don't know. I don't know. There's lots of other, there are other three row, seven to eight passenger options out there that so let's, I think let's say, I might. Let's say, for example, Range Rover. Would you take this over a Range Rover? No, because I like the, uh, the idea of the capability of a Range Rover. Okay. Like I what tried to go, I didn't go off road in this. I just wanted to take a picture in the grass and it's so low that I had to find a spot where I could nicely drive into the farm stand. Cause I'm like, I will rip that off. Where's <laughs> a nice little spot. And I'm driving into grass. It wasn't even like I'm off road. It's, no, just, Oh, that's too big of a dip between road and grass. Can't go there. What about, uh, let's say, you know, Audi SQ7, you know, which has similar level of performance, you know, similar in size to this thing. Um, I, yeah. I think the Audi drives much better than this car. I That's mean, the, exactly uh, what yeah. I was going to say. The Audi uh, has a, a sportier, more yeah. performance feel. So I think I would still go Audi before. But I guess if you're that, if you want the sporty thing at the Audi, if you want the I'm driving a floaty boat kind of thing, the Lincoln. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. How's that for to, comparison? Yeah, no, it's good. Um, they, you know, you mentioned, you know, the 21 miles of electric range, you know, and clearly in the case yeah. of this vehicle, um, Lincoln has tuned this thing more for performance, for acceleration, um, than for absolute efficiency, you know, so they, they gave you a plug-in hybrid yeah. with 20 miles of range, but this is also the most powerful production Lincoln ever built, uh, you know, there's, there's 494 horsepower. And it feels, I mean, it feels that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, yeah. it scoots. It, you it feel it, yeah. 494 horsepower and 630, I think, pound-feet yeah. of torque. I think that, yeah. that's that's kind of that's kind of crazy. So, I mean, it moves. Like, you, you put the hammer down on that to get on the highway, and you will have absolutely zero problem accelerating your giant SUV into even the heaviest, most congested, unhelpful highway traffic. Um, so it has a ton of power. I mean, there are settings, there are drive modes where you can choose to be, and I forgot the exact names of them, but like you can choose like a sports setting that's a little mm -hmm. bit more aggressive. You can choose one that focuses on efficiency, you know, so you can, you can tweak things a little. I kind of like to try, I tried them all, but I like to drive, you know, let's, let's see our middle of the road kind of options. So for the most part, I drove in that just to make happy, happy medium, um, so you can play with it a little. And I did get back a little bit, a, a, a good amount of um, 
range just from regenerative braking. Like I kept thinking I, I should be done by now. And it's like, oh no, I still have like a couple miles left. So I kept getting a little bit back, a little bit back. So that was, you know, that's kind of good, but, um, yeah. So I liked it. I thought it was a really neat car. I, I loved road tripping it. I mean, it was awesome. I mean, I can, I could easily see if you have to like haul the family for eight hours to grandma's, this is your car, man. Like drive this. <laughs> yeah. And if you, if you can't get uh, comfortable in 30 way adjustable seats, then, you know, there's clearly something wrong with you. Right. There's, there's more going on than any car is ever going to fix. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Which oddly enough is exactly the situation that Dan Roth had. Yeah. You know, he, he could never find a way to get comfortable in those seats, but. Was that his big thing? He can never get comfy? <laughs> no, no. I challenge him. Well, he should He should be able to find no, his way into a LinkedIn navigator. Like a, I feel like he should see if he can get comfy you know, like in his I feel like he should know people. <laughs> I think he might know a person or two. He might know a person or two who could make that happen. Yeah. He might know. Yeah, he might know a guy. All right. And I think at, at 88,000, that was the black label, right? Yeah, this is the black label, the 88,000. Yes. So, I mean, this is like the most tricked out, you know, the black label sort of like it's their, their fanciest it's got all version the of all goodies. the Lincoln cars. Yeah. It's got all the luxury goodies. I mean, and it, it really looks and feels that it was really, it, it is definitely fully featured for that 88. You don't sit down and think, gee, they kind of skimped. They left out. Fill all the, the things. No, there's nothing they left out. There's everything you could want to put on here. It pretty much has. Yeah. And. Um, you can, you, you can also things. get the the Grand Touring starting. Uh, you know that's the plug-in hybrid starting at sixty-eight thousand. So um, you don't have to go quite all in. Uh, well, I think I, you I, get, I think yes. eighteen-way adjustable seats with that one. But uh, why? Uh, well, then why even bother with life? I mean, really, if you're I only going to go with eighteen <laughs> ways, forget it. Like I don't want it now. That's forget <laughs> it. <laughs> why? Why do they even build that one? <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Um, I also had a plug-in hybrid vehicle this week uh, from Ford Motor Company um, that is kind of the, the opposite extreme of the, uh, the Navigator. I had the uh, uh, what has, has appeared to be a bit of a unicorn uh, for Ford, the, the uh, Escape plug-in hybrid, uh, which was originally announced back what, two, two and a half years ago when they, when they first announced the, yeah. the, the current generation Escape. Um, and it was supposed to go on sale in the U.S. late last year um, and did, never arrived. Uh, it, uh, they, they have been slowly trickling out over the last several months, but I guess now they're finally starting to deliver them in some significant volumes. Um, and I've been pestering Ford to get into this vehicle for quite a while, for most of this year. Every couple of months, I'd shoot them a note and say, hey, you got the Escape plug-in yet? Nope. Get the escape plug-in yet? Nope. Get the escape plug-in yet? Yep, we got one. We can get you in it next week. How oh, excellent. Um, so <laughs> uh, basically, you know, this isn't fundamentally different from the regular escape hybrid, except it has a bigger battery. Uh, instead of a 1.4 kilowatt-hour battery, it has uh, a 14.4 kilowatt-hour battery pack. Uh, and the same engine, the same hybrid drive unit, um, it's front-wheel drive only because the hybrid battery pack spans across underneath the rear seat. Um, so there's nowhere to put the, the drive shaft. 
uh, for the for the rear uh, rear drive on the all wheel drive version. And Ford opted not to put an electric rear axle on this thing, which they are doing on the Lincoln Corsair plug-in hybrid. So that's how they're going to differentiate the, the Corsair from the Escape plug-in um, is with all-wheel drive. So that means that this has about 200 horsepower total between the 2.5-liter engine and the electric motor. Um, it's officially rated um, by EPA with a, I think it's a 37-mile uh, range. Um, yeah, 37-mile electric driving range. So I've driven it longer distances a couple of different times uh, this week. Uh, the first time I drove to uh, to Warren, Michigan for uh, GM Investor Day, which we'll talk about later, um, and it was almost all highway driving. And doing that, I got about 33 miles of electric range before the the engine came on. And uh, yesterday I took it and drove around, did some a mix of urban, suburban, a little bit of light highway driving, um, more typical mix of driving, and got 41 miles before the battery was depleted. So uh, the 37, I think, you know, in in a more tip in a, in a fairly typical mix is very doable, um, and you know that's. Uh, it's a little bit shy of what the uh, Toyota Rav4 Prime, which is their, the the plug-in hybrid version of the Rav4. Uh, the Rav, that one's rated at 41, I think. Um, but in real-world driving, you know, driving basically the same kind of route that I did earlier this year with the Rav4. Uh, I, the Rav4, I got 43 miles. And with the uh, Escape, I got 41 miles in the same kind of driving. So, you know... This is, you know, most people, it's like 75% of people drive less than 35 miles a day or something, uh, I think is uh, roughly the statistic. So you could, if you plug this thing in every night, you can, most people can basically do all their driving electrically without using any gas. And then uh, when you need to go for longer distances... Just keep on driving because you know then it just becomes a hybrid. That that's that's the thing with with plug-in hybrids. Um, the last generation of plug-in hybrids that Ford produced um, t- between 2013 and 2020 were um, the Fusion and the C-Max plug-in hybrids. And both of those vehicles were not designed as plug-in hybrids. The batteries in those things were quite a bit larger than the new generation battery that's in this Escape. And so what ended up happening with those cars is Ford had to stuff the battery in wherever they could. And you ended up, especially in the C-Max, you ended up with very little cargo space left in the back because you had this big stack of battery in the cargo space. Um, and so there was very little room to put anything. And even in the in the Fusion plug-in, um, it basically consumed about half of the trunk in that thing. So it was a lot less practical. The Escape, the battery is substantially smaller than it was in those vehicles. It's entirely under the rear seat. Um, and so there's no sacrifice in cargo space uh, with this one. Um, you open the hatch and like you would never know that it's a plug-in hybrid. Uh, it's it's got the same cargo space as any conventional um, escape, and uh, the only dif- the only visual difference you'll see is the extra door on the front right on the left front fender for the charge port. 
Um, everything else looks exactly like any other escape, um, which, you know, for, for good or ill, um, you know, the, the exterior design I like. The interior, the ergonomics and the design look nice. The materials, not quite as nice. Um, a lot of hard plastics. Um, it, you know, especially when you compare it to something uh, like that RAV4, which, you know, the RAV4 actually, surprisingly enough, has a, has a looks like a more premium interior, um, or the Mazda CX-5 has a much more premium feeling interior uh, than, than the Escape does. Uh, but, you know, it drives well enough. Um, 200 horsepower is plenty. Um, you can put it in different, you can select different modes. You can have just the normal uh, hybrid mode and let the system decide when to use the battery, when to use the engine. There's a, an all uh, electric only mode. Um, and, uh, there's uh, a charge sustaining mode, you know, where you hold it for, hold whatever charge you have for later. So if you're driving home, you've got, you know, a few miles of electric range left and you want to save it for driving through your neighborhood. So you can do that quietly as you sneak in late at night. Uh, you can do that. Uh, and there's also uh, a charge the battery mode. So um, if you're heading somewhere where you want to have and you don't have any electric range available left and you want to have some when you get there, you can actually have the engine run a little bit harder and charge up the battery uh, to do that. Um, I, you know, I, I have driven a couple of hundred miles over the past um, week and uh, I've drawn, I think, more than half of the, the driving over, I think it's about 185 miles I've driven, and over 100 miles of that has been electric only. Uh, so, you know, it's 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 pretty it's pretty good for that. Um, the uh, base price um, for the uh, let me find it here. Base price for uh, the SE trim level. Uh, for the for the plug-in hybrid, it starts at uh, thirty-three thousand seventy-five dollars plus twelve hundred and forty-five dollars delivery, so thirty-four, thirty-four, thirty-four two fifty roughly uh, for the cheapest version. The one I've been driving is the Titanium, which has all the the nice goodies in there: leather and heated seats and and all the other stuff. Um, comes out to came out to a total of forty-three thousand twenty-five dollars, uh, but there is, for now at least, still uh, a federal tax credit available for these uh, because Ford hasn't yet hit their 200000 mark uh, with their, with their plug-in vehicles. So the tax credit on the, the Escape plug-in is um, $6,800. Uh, so, you know, getting, you know, for the base, you know, if you get the SE uh, plug-in hybrid, you can get that down to about twenty-seven, you know, twenty-seven thousand, uh, which is comparable to what you would pay for similarly equipped um, hybrid, uh, regular hybrid version, and it's going to be a lot more efficient, give you a lot more electric driving capability. Uh, so, if you're interested in, if you're not quite ready to make the jump all the way to a full battery electric, um, and you know that your daily driving, you know, is in that, you know, less than forty miles a day range and you have somewhere to plug in every day then it's it's worth a look uh at something like this you know the the rav4 prime is also another another one to take a look at you know it's a direct competitor similar size the rav4 does have better performance and it has all-wheel drive because they have an electric uh, motor on the rear axle as well uh standard equipment uh it's a little pricier than the escape is uh but it's got 
like 300 horsepower total between the front and rear electric motors and the engine. Um, so it does have better performance, but um, you, you're going to pay for that um, with uh, I've never even dollars. seen one of these things. So <laughs> that is the Escape <laughs> Plug-In Hybrid. <laughs> I know. I, I, I've never seen the, one the, for realsies, so I don't I, – like, wow, they it, they really exist. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, except – Except for the charge port door on the driver's side front fender, you even if you if you saw it from the the passenger side, you would never know that it was a plug-in hybrid, because there's there's nothing to visually distinguish yeah. it. And like I said, I think you know I was looking up sales numbers. I think Oof. over the last six months they've delivered about two hundred of them, total. So and I'm guessing that almost all of those probably went to Ford employees, um, and not to consumers. Wow. Uh, but they're now actually starting to roll them out to dealers um, and deliver them in larger volumes to consumers. Um, the reason why it was delayed, um, in Europe last year, the Kuga, which is what the, the Escape is batched as the Kuga outside of North America, um, the Kuga plug-in hybrid went on sale earlier. And oh, they yeah. had a problem with, uh, take a guess, battery fires uh, because the, the battery supplier – um, it was the, the same battery supplier that was also supplying um, BM, some BMW vehicles in, in Europe. And um, they had a manufacturing issue with some weld splatter inside the cells that was causing short circuits. And so they had to wow. have a, a stop sale on the, uh, the plug-in hybrids. And um, that impacted production for North America as well. And they delayed that while they worked on, you know, working with the battery supplier to um, to work on some new quality processes and new testing procedures to make sure that they didn't that they Good wouldn't have the same fires. problem here when they launched it here. <laughs> Yay, so, good job. So far it hasn't caught fire. Not bursting the flames. That's a good thing. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Woohoo. Has not burst into flames. One nope. put that in the plus column. All right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Uh, let's see. What do we have next? Uh, where's the rundown? Tundra. Uh, shall we go with... Uh, let's go with the, the Tundra first. The Tundra. Nicole? So that that's me. That's me. That's me. Um, so I had the chance this last week to... <laughs> drive the all-new 2022 Toyota Tundra. Uh, they've been talking about this vehicle forever. They've released pieces of it, like we got all these details. 
little while ago and then like, no, we're not going to let you drive it yet. And they finally let us drive it. So they pretty much improved everything you can think of to improve with this. They've made a lot of changes to it. Um, some of them bigger than others. One of the big things is that there's a new hybrid engine that you can get with it. Um, that is a big deal, understandably so. There's a new transmission. They've added safety features. They revised the suspension system and the infotainment is all new. Um, talking about the engines first, you get a 3.5 liter twin turbocharged V6, 389 horsepower, 479 pound-feet of torque. Or you get that as a hybrid that is 437 horsepower, 583 pound-feet of torque. You do feel the difference. It does actually feel much more responsive in the hybrid. It's not like you drive the standard engine and you think it's underpowered, but when you go step from one into the other, there's a noticeable difference between the two. Um, I would buy either one. I don't know that I... See, I'm not someone who would buy a hybrid just for the extra, like, to say I have a hybrid. I, I, I think sometimes things do just fine just with a gas engine. I So I don't know that I would necessarily say, oh, you got to get that. You got to get that hybrid. You got to get it for the extra horsepower. You got to, you got to get it for the extra. Nah, if you know, if you want it, go ahead, but don't feel like you can't get by with a standard engine on there. Um, the infotainment system though. So they've significantly upgraded this. And I think I talked about another vehicle, the Lexus that has the same thing. Surprising, no surprise because Toyota Lexus, same company essentially, but the voice control on this is really, really good. Um, I find that voice control, it, it, it's, it's hit or miss. Sometimes I think it's just my voice. Sometimes I think maybe it's the ambient noise in the car. Sometimes it's raining too hard outside. Sometimes it's a Tuesday and it's too sunny. I don't know why I have <laughs> trouble with voice control on cars, but I do. And I find that these, this works really well. First of all, it has two microphones, so it picks up the driver and the passenger. So if you're the passenger, you don't have to like, have you ever done that awkward, like sort of leaning over to scream something at it because you want it to hear you, but it's listening by the driver. You don't have to do that. And then when it responds, it responds to you from wherever you're sitting. So the driver gets a response from those speakers. The passenger gets a response from those speakers. And it's a pretty intuitive system. You don't have to memorize commands like, you know, Toyota directions to, and then place. You can say, Toyota, where's the nearest whatever? Toyota, I want coffee. Toyota, find me this. And it's pretty good about finding what you want without having to come up with these specific language, specific commands, which is always a pain in the neck because then if your passenger wants something, even if you've memorized all exactly the things that you have they, to say. They might in not the right, be used to that vehicle. And the, exactly. The they don't know. And suddenly it's like, Shh, let me do this for you because you don't know the right words to say to make the system understand what you want. Just be quiet. I'll find your coffee for you. You know. Um, so I really liked the infotainment. I thought it was a leap forward. It's very fast. The screen is very, very easy to use. There's an optional 14-inch screen. Um, beautiful screen, very responsive. You can really, you can pinch and zoom on a lot of screens, but some of them you, when you pinch and zoom, it's like, oh gosh, suddenly you're just like, you're too far in or too far out. This one is responsive enough that you don't lose where the heck you are on the screen when you're playing with it. Um, so I thought that was really good. They have this, they have a nice range of trims. Um, they've got six different trims altogether. It includes the TRD Pro for like if you want to go out and do your you know heavy duty going off road and having some fun stuff, um, and there's this really the 1794 edition which I feel like is their version of 
Like every truck has to have a cowboy version. It has to have one that is designed for the guy who's wearing chaps and a hat and like cowboy boots and is going to the ranch. There might be one guy buying their truck that fits that, but they must have a trim level of their truck for that guy. It's the 1794. It has all this extra leather and it, it makes it look very upscale. Uh, I drove that one for a good amount of time and I like, okay, you know what? This is kind of growing on me. I'm going to put on the country music station and embrace my inner cowgirl here. This is kind of fun. So I like that. I, I think overall, I think people are going to be really pleased. I don't know if it's enough to get someone who is an F-150 guy and get him to be like, oh, forget it. I'm going for the Tundra. But I feel like it's going to make Tundra fans really happy where it doesn't match up is it doesn't have that crazy capability that you're going to get in an F-150. The tow rating and the payload ratings, those aren't up there. So if you're looking for like the absolute maximums that you can get, Tundra is not your Huckleberry. You don't want to do that. But really consider what you need. You know, much like you people buy big vehicles, you know, are you hauling air 90% of the time? Do you really need to have that payload? Do you really need to be able to tow you know, your house off the foundation, maybe not, maybe you don't. So, um, yeah, so overall I was pleased with it. We have no pricing. Uh, pricing is coming Later. out closer to the on sale date. So Which is they when? seem to think it was later. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> later. I feel like it's like in a coming soon situation. We actually had models that we were driving that uh, were so yeah. pre-production, some of them, like the trims inside were like fake plastic, like the cheesy, cheesy plastic. Like I went to take pictures of the inside uh, and I was textured like, yet. oh, do you guys have one with the plastic? Yeah, they were textured. Like you touch them with your fingers and they felt like hollow. Like they were really, so we were driving very pre-production vehicles. So it's not like they had very, you know, they had, they were finished enough that of course we could tell what they were going to be like, but you had elements. It's like that door panel isn't right. And that center console isn't right. So you know, I feel like when they give you things that are that, that look like that, they're still, you know, sort of rushing to keep up and get things rolling. So I don't know. They said it would be at least three to four weeks before we had pricing. So did they get accordingly if you want a new Tundra? So you, you mentioned towing, uh, you know, not matching F-150. How much can it tow? Uh, let's see. It can tow. The maximum yeah. towing is 12,000 and oh. the maximum payload is 1940. That's, I mean, so it's yeah. still cape. It's yeah. That's what I mean. That's what I'm saying. It's like, it's not the highest number. I think that uh, is the F-150 1400. Uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's 14,000 and, you know, Silverado and Ram are close to that as well. And they're both. In that right. So they're all a little, they're all a little bit more. So it's, but there's the weird thing with trucks is people get very like, I need the truck. That's the truckiest truck of all the trucks. Okay. Then if you want to spend your money to do that and you actually need it, have at it. But if you, if you don't need that, like think about that before you buy a truck. Like I feel like people get a little carried away with like, I have the biggest truck, the manliest truck, the most powerful, capable you're, truck. It's like, okay, just because you can turn an extra 2,000 pounds and you paid a small fortune to do that, do you really need that? Like, consider what you need when you buy a truck. I feel just in general, whether you're looking at a Tundra or anything else. You're stepping on You're stepping on the TRX and the Raptors uh, business model right now. To that one trash can to the dump. You're going to be okay without <laughs> so 14,000 pounds. I mean, 99... Yeah. I know, I am, I know. Oh, the power! Most, yeah, most people yeah. don't need but anything bigger different... than a Maverick or a Santa Cruz. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you don't, so you don't need to do, you know, it, it's, 
you don't need to go crazy. I feel like the, I feel like they did a good job with this. There was no real complaint that I had. Like sometimes you get these all new, especially with something a big truck like this, and you sort of feel like, okay, you know what? Ninety percent of this is good, but you guys so dropped the ball in this one area. I don't feel like they did. I feel like they paid attention. The infotainment got some upgrades. They got the hybrid powertrain. They have a good towing and payload, even though it's not the highest. They've got six different trims to choose from. Um, they they made. They made the changes that needed to be made to keep this competitive and to appeal to truck buyers. And like I said, I think it's going to, people who are Tundra folks are going to be really happy with this. I don't know how many people it's going to take away from other OEMs, but that's always a thing with trucks. Like you're a Ford guy for life, you're a Chevy guy for life, you're a Ram guy for life. I don't know yeah, how tr much trucks any truck probably have eat. the best owner loyalty of, of any segment in the auto uh, automotive industry. Right. So I feel, you know, but I, I do feel like if you were looking for your truck for the first time, like you aren't already, you have not already committed your soul to a specific <laughs> OEM that when you look at this and if you really pay attention that you could end up saying, okay, you know what? This but no one, fancy this, uh, tailgate uh, options, right? I liked it. So overall, positive feelings. Yeah. Any, any indication? Uh... Have a little step, no, a little no thing. No, there was no crazy fancy or... tailgate. They don't have like the multi-pro. Doesn't open sideways or flip down or have steps or speakers. I think there's like an optional. I want to say there's like an optional little corner step situation. Yeah, I think they I have the, right. the, that corner step that you can put pull down like on the on the Titan. What's the point? And, <laughs> right, uh, but that's as close as you get. Too. There's no fancy exactly. Roberto. So Roberto's like, Why forget even it without the fancy tailgate. I'm out. <laughs> It's like did, not having 30-way seats on your SUV. What's the point? <laughs> did, did they give any indication of eventually offering other, um, other powertrains uh, besides just the, the V6 the future and the products. Hybrid? Sam, you know the answer to that question. Let me hear you say it. What's the answer? We cannot comment, talk on, about future cannot comment products. on future products. <laughs> I can't believe you asked me that. We can, now I know what it's like to be an OEM. <laughs> we cannot comment on future product. We cannot comment on future products. What what about yeah. uh, I think right so, now there's yeah. only the crew cab, right? Uh or did do they have the crew uh, cab? Why do I feel like there's two cabs? No, there's two. There's the crew, oh, oh my gosh, and what's the other one called? I kept getting the name there's the extended they cab. They call it a crew cab and is it a dual cab? It's, yes. Yeah. So they have the one they're both four doors, but the one you have like full four doors, the other right. one you have a small little section. It's like so so you do have Okay. You've got two cabs, and uh, yeah, and you have three bed lengths. There's, um, which I think there used to be two, so now you have three beds. So, okay, a little extra versatility in there. But yeah, you do get two cabs. The the smaller of the two, the one with the smaller back seat, it's pretty small. Like you can fit adults back there, and you can sit, but that's definitely your. If you're going to horse shows, you want the larger cab for a quick drive thing. If you really are regularly putting people in the rear seats, you want for all the our listeners who cab. do who are yeah. dragging horse trailers around, you want the larger cab. Yes. Shout out to my horse folk. Right. <laughs> so, right, who are driving, bringing giant horse trailers every. Woo, woo. <laughs> there you go. See? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I pull a horse trailer around. Your horse is very upset. 10 or 12 years, you know. I'm just going to say, your so horse I, is very I, upset. Right? So I clearly need, need a, the most capability I ever. You never take me anywhere. 12,000 pounds of tow, tow rating. You don't buy me the good grain. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Just leave me in the barn. You completely yeah. ignore me. Yeah. It's like I'm not even here. Uh, all right. Um, so I on uh, Wednesday, I went to uh, Warren uh, to the GM Tech Center uh, where just before the – Investor. Um, 
GM had their uh, analyst uh, or their, their uh, investor day uh, for the the Wall Street analysts. Uh, not they they do different stuff than the kind of stuff I do for my work. You know, they they decide what uh, price, uh, what the stock price should be for various companies. You know, whether people should buy or sell the stocks. That's not what I do. Um, and uh, they had a whole bunch of presentations. They had about I think four or five hours of presentations for the the Wall Street guys. Um, and uh, before that, though, they did some briefings uh, for media and industry analysts. And we got to see uh, some of the stuff uh, a couple hours ahead of the, uh, the, the Wall Street guys, um, including uh, getting a briefing on GM's new Ultra Cruise system. So I think Mark Royce initially alluded to or mentioned Ultra Cruise during a a presentation he did about two years ago. And it's been mentioned a few times here and there, but they've never given any details about it until now. Um, so this is GM's next generation beyond Super Cruise. Uh, so Super Cruise is GM's hands-free driving assist system, uh, so-called level two system, that lets you go hands-off in highway driving conditions. And you can use it on about 200,000 miles of divided highways across North America right now. Uh, and uh, the latest versions of it are adding features like lane change on demand, automatic lane changing, uh, the ability to work while you're towing a trailer, um, a lot of, lot of interesting features. Ultra Cruise takes it to a whole new level. Instead of 200,000 miles of divided highways, it's supposed to work at launch in 2023 on 2 million miles of all kinds of roads, highways, urban, suburban, rural, you name it. Um, and then over time, they plan to grow that to over 3.4 million miles. There's, there's, close to four, uh, there's close to 4 million miles of paved roads in the United States. Um, and they want to get that up to close to 3.5 million miles um, over after, after, at some point after launch. Uh, and what this system will do, instead of just you know when you get on the highway uh, and you're in the lane, Hit the, hit the button, and then it just takes over the steering and speed control. Uh, the um, Ultra Cruise system will actually let you put in your destination in the navigation, and it will do the steering and speed control for you um, most of the way to your destination. It will uh, they, you know, call it driveway-to-driveway -driveway, uh, capability. They say it should be able to um, operate in 95% of all common driving scenarios. Um, so the places where it won't work would be like if you have really bad weather or you know uh, a new construction zone has just popped up, it might not be able to handle that, or some particularly complex intersections it might not be able to handle. But most other stuff that you do on a day-to-day -day basis, it will be able to do the steering, do the speed control, it'll read the traffic, uh, the speed limit signs, uh, know how fast it should go. Um, it'll read uh, traffic signals and stop at red lights, um, hopefully only at red lights and not at green lights like a certain other system. Um, and, uh, you know, it, but it's not, they're not calling it self-driving because you still have to supervise the system. It's still a level two system. So you can't crawl in the back seat and take a nap. Uh, you can't uh, play games. You, got, you have to keep watching the road but you don't have to touch the pedals or the steering wheel. Uh, and there, it's going to have um, 
a more capable sensor system, higher, uh, higher, def higher resolution cameras, um, possibly imaging radar. Um, they, they didn't specify what kind of radar, but they recently made an investment in a company called Oculi that does imaging radar. And uh, uh, they, they may be using that technology. And they're definitely going to have LiDAR on here. They have, they have a Septon LiDAR sensor that's going to be on these vehicles. Uh, it's it's going to be on premium models. Uh, they didn't specify which, but starting with Cadillac, as you might expect. Um, so it'll probably be on the new Cadillac Celestic, their electric flagship sedan, uh, maybe on the Escalade, um, possibly the Lyric. And um, I think uh, in the first year, they'll probably have it on two or three models, eventually growing it to about nine models uh, after a couple of years. Uh, but it'll be sold alongside Super Cruise. So it'll be an extra cost option above and beyond Super Cruise. Uh, what do you... What do you two think about this? You know, having a system that can do most of the driving for you, but you still have to watch the road and be ready to take over at any time. I, it's kind of. I mean, it sounds like it's much. You know, it's an improvement from <clears throat> where we've been. But I still think until we get to one where it lets you let go, you know, like taking a nap, I don't know how exciting it is. Like, I, I, it's cool. Like nifty, but you're still, you, I mean, if you're being a responsible adult grown up, like you should be when you're driving, if it says you have to pay attention, then you have to pay attention and you can only relax so much because you, you're still driving, but you're still driving the car. Even if you're not steering, you're still in charge of driving the car. So I think it's very cool and it's very exciting. But at the same time, I don't know how excited you can get when it's like, well, you know, I still have to be there. I still have to be paying attention. I still have to be really on top of it just in case. Something goes sideways. I mean, I think it, it, it illustrates just where we are in the, the 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 quest for autonomy, which is we're still a far, we're still a long ways away for like a true autonomous, mm -hmm. you know, level three they can drive everywhere vehicle. I mean, that's it, 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 we 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 can be all excited about it. The idea, you know, most people don't like driving. They're very they're they're angry. <laughs> they're stuck in traffic. Most people are all they're doing is commuting, which is really the worst driving possible. Um, and so, you know, once we get to that point, I mean, there, there is a, a reduction of cognitive load when you're using these systems. Like Super Cruise, I, I drove from New Mexico to, L, to, to L.A. with Super Cruise, and it was, it was nice. Um, but, you know, and then you know, if we drive from L.A. to wherever, or, you know, I do a cross-country thing with, with Ultra Cruise, then, you know, it's going to sort of reduce that load. But you still have to pay attention, and, you know, they're, they're smart about having, you know, the in-car monitoring system. They're using LiDAR. They're doing all the things. They're having all the redundancy, all the things that Tesla's not doing. And they're not saying that it's autonomous. They're not saying it's, it's full self-driving. And so I feel like they're they're being a bit more responsible when it comes to this. I mean, even Tesla's lawyers have said, oh, it's not really self-driving when talking to the state of California, which is two completely different, you know, messages coming from one company where GM's like, hey, we're making a super cruise better. We're calling it ultra cruise. But what happens after ultra cruise is like super duper cruise and <laughs> super <laughs> ultra mega cruise. What happens when they get to level three? Do they just call it something else? They're like... GM scope. I don't know, but uh, no, I think it's it's. On one hand, you have to worry about you know the the complacency that these sort of systems breed when people just sort of stop paying attention. Um, you can you can still be looking at the road and not be paying attention, 
You, you know, and I think we've all done that where you're driving, it's a long drive, you've been on the road for a long time, and suddenly you're like, oh my God. You're I, still zoned out. You're zoned, yeah. You, you, you kind of forget the last five right. miles you've driven. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I, I don't know if this is, this is uh, 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 better or worse than that because, you know, you are looking at the road. So I think we'll, we'll see how, how it comes out and what it means. And um, even if it means, you know, I still sort of keep my, I, you know, my hands kind of always hovering near the wheel with these systems just because, you know, robots. Um, so we'll, we'll see how, we'll see <laughs> how, it, you know, we've got two years to figure it out, two years to see what happens, two years. You know, Mercedes has their sort of, I think I don't. They're not calling it level three, but they have a they have a um, on highway system that's geofence, like super cruise, that you don't have to pay attention. You can like play Tetris while you're while it's while you're driving. Yeah. Yeah, so, but that ooh. one's limited to like for for that uh, scenario where you're not paying attention. That's limited to 37 miles an hour. Yeah. So there's so it's but only that's for low speed traffic conditions. Yeah. So when so you know every day on the way to work. <laughs> Which is kind of yeah. the again again the worst driving scenario, um, but you know it's it's you know but yeah both of those systems sort of show like where we are when it comes to autonomous systems from uh, companies that are trying to be responsible because they realize this is a lot harder than anyone anticipated when we started you know crowing about it ten years ago. Yeah. And- Speaking you know, of, I don't, you know, I don't think anybody realized how hard it would be. I think that's it. Nobody, yeah. everyone thought it. It was sort of billed as, "We're so close. You're going to have this. Just give us ten minutes." And it's like tick, 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 tick. tick, tick. It's like been you know ten yeah. hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, you know, there, there's a presentation I've given at a couple of conferences recently. Um, you know, and the opening slide, you know, is you know, 2018 will be the year of self-driving cars. Okay, maybe 2019. No, 2020. 21 <laughs> and you know i think you know later later this year I mean, we we do have some you know limited self-driving vehicles out there um you know waymo's running some stuff in arizona um i saw uh, on the way up from san francisco airport to sausalito the other day i saw at least five different waymo vehicles in san francisco uh cruise is running their vehicles in san francisco uh, argo's running in a bunch of cities and they're going to launch um, robo taxi services uh, later this year, um, but with still with safety drivers. Um, I did have a chance to uh, talk with uh, somebody from Cruise um, at the uh, the Investor Day event, and, and Dan Amon, the CEO of Cruise, did a presentation. He was one of the presenters, and um, he talked about uh, uh, you know their plan, their their business plan, and how you know they're starting off with. You know, robo taxis and deliveries, but eventually, at some point, um, you know, on a on a on a graph that they showed with no actual dates on it or, or numbers, uh, they showed it <laughs> hockey sticking up. You know, as they add um, cruise technology to uh, GM consumer vehicles. Um, so you know, at some some indeterminate future point, you know, you may actually have that from GM. Although, I'm I remain skeptical on on that one. Um, so sometime but, in the uh, future, things will make money. I love that it's yeah. a chart with no actual figures or dates. It's like, this is what we want it to look like when. We yeah. don't know, but this it's, is what we want it to look it, like. It, it's, it's, what, it's what has become known as a Bezos chart. You know, it's yeah. the kind of chart that, uh, that Amazon's been putting out you know, for, for years, you know, showing the growth in sales of Kindle eBooks or you know, Prime subscribers or whatever else, you know, Echo users, uh, you know, without actually applying any numbers to it. 
So it's it's always rather so, annoying. But um, but but talking to somebody from Cruz, you know, they they recently got their permit for car- driverless robo taxi operations in California from the California DMV. But they also have to still get a permit from the California Public Utilities Commission, and. Um, apparently that process, you have to get the DMV permit before you can apply for the PUC permit. And that takes about three months or so. So based on that, that timeline, it looks like crews might be ready to start driverless robo-taxi operations for the public sometime in early 2022. So, you know, they, they might be one of – it's going to be a race between them and Waymo to see who can get out there first because Waymo also has their driverless – uh, permit for San Francisco as well, so we'll see which one gets to gets starts operating in San Francisco first. Uh, as someone who's been stuck behind the Cruise and Waymo vehicles in San Francisco, I tell you they're not good. <laughs> they just they're, <laughs> it's, it's, like it's, you know when you expect a car to do something and it doesn't, like the person is lost or whatever. That is what it's like being stuck behind these vehicles. It's like being stuck behind a lost tourist. Yeah. So, I mean, and maybe they've leaps and bounds uh, improved their system during, you know, the last six months or so. But um, a, a lot of drivers in San Francisco will probably tell you that they're they are. They, oh, God. No. Oh, God. It's one of those. I don't like being around them when I, it, I don't like being when I'm riding a motorcycle. I don't like being around um, uh, Uber or Lyft, um, crews or contractors in white F-150s. <laughs> All three oh, yeah. of those people are yeah. just driving like <laughs> insane. It's, it's, they're all, it's all, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what, I'm going to back off or I'm going to speed up, but I want to get away from th- those three uh, uh, scenarios. Uh, the, the contractors, the, 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 the uh, Uber Lyft drivers, and the Waymo and the cruise cars, because you're just like, ah. All fair. Okay. Yep. All right. Last uh, story for this week. Um Robbie, you and I both had a chance to drive something this week, um, the Ford Mustang Mach-E GT. What did you think? Okay, so we can all sit there and argue about uh, whether or not the Mach-E is worthy of the Mustang name. And I think there are people who are – I think there's more people who are in the – it's fine, it's a Mach-E, but it's not a Mustang than there are in – it's fine. Let them call it a Mustang. Um, You can – I do believe that you can call it a GT, though. I think that it deserves that badge. On there, it was uh, yeah, all-wheel drive, a lot of power. Um, you know, they're 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 doing some uh, good work with the with the suspension system. There's there's a couple things that I found that I wasn't uh, completely super excited about. Um, uh, I feel like uh, MagnaRide should have been a lot better when it comes to to uh, launches. Um, I don't think it 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 gives enough. Um, it doesn't stiffen the back end enough, so I kept getting uh, wheel spin from the front uh, the front tires. Um, which is, you know, physics, but if you, you know, up, set up your suspension a little bit better, you, you don't get that. You get all four tires, you know, grabbing at once, giving you all that extra, that torque and that power. But overall, um, yeah, the GT, the GT Performance Edition, both of them are outstanding. They're, they're GTs. They're, they're proper for GT. Maybe a Mustang. That's did up you, to you. Um, <laughs> did, yeah. Did, did you get a chance to drive, uh, to try out Blue Cruise on one-on-one? I did. I tried out Blue Cruise. Um, it is a. It is not quite as nice as Super Cruise, and I just from from the driving, there's a little bit more ping ponging where you know it kind of as it's trying to find the center of the road. Sometimes you know the cars will go back and forth. This is something we had a lot with adaptive cruise control and lane keep assist when those uh, like 
probably six years ago. You got a little, little bit of ping-ponging with those systems. It has a little bit more ping-ponging than the uh, than than what Tesla's offering up, and uh, what uh, Blue Cru- or Super Cruise is. And at one point, there was a corner that was just a bit too sharp that I took control because I didn't. I thought that we were going to glide into the other lane where there was another car. Um, for the most part, though, I think it's a really it's you know it's it's their first uh, this is their first vehicle with that that I've driven that it's on. Um, they're going to have over the air updates, which means it's just going to get better um, um, unless they make a horrible mistake and make it worse. Um, <laughs> so I think if you if you're if you're going to okay. pay for that, it's it's you know just you're going to feel a little bit better because you know it's going to get better. Um, and you know those, those hand free systems are nice. I also I miss the fact that there's no light on the steering wheel. Like Mercedes, BMW, yeah, I, I, uh, GM, they all have some sort of light system on the steering wheel, and not having that um, is is sort of weird. When, when originally, remember when we saw Super Cruise the first time when they showed the mm-hmm. picture on the steering wheel, like, oh, that's ridiculous. And then you drive here, like, oh no, that's cool. Um, yeah, now and now yeah. I feel like it's ridiculous that that Ford doesn't have that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, and I had a, a long conversation with Dave Parasak uh, the other night. Um, about that, you know, explaining, you know, why I didn't think that Blue Cruise is as good as Super Cruise. Um, and the, the HMI, the, the interface, is, is one aspect of that. Um, you know, with, with Blue Cruise, you know, you're limited to the graphics that they have in the instrument cluster. And, you know, Ford uses, you know, for obvious reasons, a predominantly blue design, you know. And so it's not, it's not as immediately apparent when it's changing modes um, you know, that, or, you know, or when you need to take over control or what mode is available to you, um, because it, it sort of blends in more. Whereas with super cruise with the light bar, you know, you got blue, green, red, you know, and it's right in the lower periphery of your vision all the time. You, you know, when it, when it has changed, uh, it's very obvious, very unambiguous. Um, and, uh, like, like you said, you know, sometimes one, one of the flaws in super in blue cruise, uh, which when I had a, an early drive in it a couple of months ago here in Dearborn, uh, I was talking to uh, one of the engineers on it uh, who was riding with me, and I asked the question, one of the things that Super Cruise has done from the very beginning when they first launched it in 2017 is they use the, the maps, the high-definition maps, as a long-range sensor. So they're looking about two miles out down the road, looking for curves in the road. They know the curvature of all the, the radius of all the curves, and depending on what your set speed is, if the, if the system thinks your set speed is maybe a little bit too high to get through that curve at that speed, it will automatically slow you down a little bit as you approach that curve to a speed that you can get through safely and then, and then resume your speed. So if you're going, if you've got it set at 80 miles an hour and thinks you can only get through there at 67, it'll slow you down to 67, and then as soon as you get past the apex, it'll speed back up to 80 miles an hour. Ford is not doing that for some reason. Uh, I think they, they will eventually, but um, they're not doing that yet at launch. And that's why, you know, sometimes you see, you know, on curves, you'll see it start to, you'll feel it start to drift out and you have to take over control. And that's, that's not good. Yeah. You know, I mean, if it's supposed to be a hands-free system, you know, they need to be able to deal with that kind of scenario. Um, but the, you know, I, I thought, you know, the, uh, the, the handling, you know, um, on the, in the performance edition, um, coming back down Pacific coast highway, I thought was, was great. Um, you know, it, for, for a vehicle that weighs 5,000 pounds and, you know, is <laughs> significantly taller than a, 
a traditional Mustang, although by SUV standards, it's actually not very tall. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's like six inches lower than a Ford Edge. Uh, so, you know, being in that, in that range, though, you know, it's, it's, it feels really good, you know, going through those curves at, at fairly significant speeds. And at one point, I was, I was up behind uh, like a 2010, 2011 uh, Mustang GT, and, you know, I had no problem at all keeping up with him going through those curves. Um, you know, off the line, the, uh, the GT Performance Edition will run 0 to 60 in about 3.5 seconds, which is about the same as a GT500, a Shelby GT500. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it feels like it. You know, it does it without all the noise that a GT500 makes, but it, and it actually does it a lot easier because with the all-wheel drive, um, you know, you're not struggling just to try to get grip. You know, the, the GT500 has a lot more power. It's got 760 horsepower versus 480 in the Mach-E, but the Mach-E can actually put that power to, and that torque to use, whereas the GT500 still struggles with that. Um, what else? Oh, one, one cool feature that, that um, they added um, for, the, uh, for the GT, for both the base version and the, the uh uh, the performance edition. The, the main difference is between the for the performance edition, you get summer tires instead of all seasons, Pirelli summer tires versus Continental all seasons, and you get the Magnaride dampers. Um, but for both of them, they added a new driving mode. They had they already had Whisper, Engage, and Unbridled mode. Now they add Unbridled Extend, which is meant for track use or if you're autocrossing. Uh, and what that actually does is it pre-cools the battery when you engage it uh, and then actually limits the the power the total power output a little bit they didn't say exactly how much but it reduces the total power output a little bit so that it will stay within a band where you can get consistent performance so instead of 480 horsepower you might be getting i don't know 420 or something 430 um, and it'll keep it'll it'll be able to maintain that performance level over many laps um, which is, you know, I think, you know, if you're, if you're going to take this thing to the track, well, I'm not sure why people would, but if you're going to take it to the track, um, <laughs> you know, or to, just to an autocross, they will. um, you're, you're going to be able to get much more consistent performance with it using that. And it also reduces the front motor because the, the, the GT gets the same motor rear, front and rear. And so the nominal setup is you got 50, 50 torque split front to rear. It rebalances it. So you're getting 40% in the front, 60% in the rear, so it feels a little more like a rear-drive car, and you can you can get the back end out a little bit more with the, the accelerator pedal. Yeah, with, with, with that unbridled, it, it does tend to a little, uh, you, you do t- it does tend to do some uh, some understeer. Um, you know, it's fu- uh, the unbridled thing is there's, there's, to set it up, though, if you've been driving around, it just, you just can't turn it on. <laughs> that was, yeah. that's it. so I kept, like, I was driving, and I drive, I drive the roads that we drove all the time. There's this very nice, these nice windy roads from, from Mill Valley to, uh, to, to Stinson Beach. And I drive, that's the road I drive all the cars on. So I know pretty well and I know how to like, you know, make sure I get the most, you know, I can, I can test the performance of the vehicle with them. But because of that, I couldn't turn on bridle extend on because I had just been pushing the car too hard. And I was like, oh, I should turn this on. It's like, no. (laughs) But I yeah. did get to use it the next day at the autocross, which was nice. So it does, yeah, it does. It makes it a bit more neutral with the, with the, and um, you get some, you'll you'll get some oversteer, which is always fun. Yep. 
All right. Any other thoughts on the Mach-E GT? Uh, nope. <laughs> okay. Um, I did. Uh, I did sit down with Dave Parasek and Darren Palmer uh, to talk about the the, the GT, and also uh, with Darren about some of the stuff that Ford is doing with charging, um, including their new Charge Angel program. Um, and uh, I will tack those interviews on the end here after we do our Q and A. So we do have a couple of questions that came in. Um, one, uh, let's see, let's do the, the one that w came in last week after we recorded. Uh, hit this one first. When do you see the tipping point? This is from Dave uh, Vesma, or Dan Vesma. Uh, when do you see the tipping point where it will no longer be more environmentally, environmentally responsible to keep an older ICE car on the road rather than buying an EV? I think that comes... I mean, if you already have a car, it depends on you know how what the kind of how old it is, um, and but it, I, I think it also it's it's efficiency, it's miles per gallon. So if your car right now is getting ten miles per gallon, I don't I don't know why you're, <laughs> but if yeah, <laughs> if you're getting like something that's thirty to forty miles an, uh, a gallon, and it's probably going to be a little bit further out. Um, but I think as battery um, as battery technology gets better and better and you're able to put lighter batteries, smaller batteries and get the same range, I think that's, you know, that's when you, you go past parity when it comes to um, not just the price point of, of EVs versus, uh, you know, internal combustion engines, but also you, you start going past the, the carbon footprint of a new EV versus a new ICE because you're using less battery, which means, you know, you're using... Uh, Less materials. Less energy to, to produce the vehicle. Yeah, less energy to produce the vehicle. Right. So I think you know, I think it's still a little while, a little bit out. Um, versus like keeping something that you have. I mean, I'm I'm a firm believer in buy used cars. You know, drive a car until it falls apart, and you know that's like, that's 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 sort of where, of, of where I am. But uh, yeah, no, I think it's it's we're we're getting there. I think, but I think it's still a little it's just a little bit out. Nicole, yeah, I think there's some time to go yet. I think it, it's, yeah, I think the same thing. I think we're at a point where the technology has to sort of get to um, a little bit more affordable, a little bit more environmentally sourced. It's still so early, really, in the EV battery situation. I mean, it feels like we've been dealing with these for a while, but in the grand scheme, we really haven't. And, you know, these technological advancements tend to happen in, you know, little tiny increments, and then maybe there's a leap, and little tiny increments, and then there's a leap. And I think we need a few leaps forward before it's something where everyone says, okay, it really makes absolutely no sense for me to have this ICE vehicle. I really should be making the move to an EV. This is, you know, I think we have a ways to go. I, I couldn't put a date. I couldn't say five years, six years, eight years, but I still, I feel like there's a ways to go yet. Yeah. And I think, you know, even when we get to, you know, any pick, you know, pick any random date in the future, 2025, 2028, whatever it might be. Um, you know, it, de it depends on the vehicle that you're replacing. You know, if you're replacing, you know, something that's 25 years old, you know, something, something that was built in the 70s or 80s, as, as an example, or even, even the 90s, that, you know, doesn't have the same emission controls we've got today. It's not as fuel efficient. Um, you know, that's going to be a different story than, you know, if you're driving something that's, you know, built in the last five years or in the next five years. You know, if you, you know, come 2025, 
if you're driving, you know, a, two, a three, four-year-old Ford Maverick you know, with the hybrid, you're getting 40 miles per gallon or a Prius, you know, or a RAV4 right. Prime. You know, these are, these are all very efficient vehicles. And the, the incremental benefit to from replacing a relatively new vehicle that is very efficient with an EV is probably not going, you know, I mean, it, you're, there's probably not going to be a net benefit uh, yet at that point, you know, as opposed to replacing something that's 20 or 30 years old. And it also depends on how you use that vehicle. You know, like my Miata is 31 years old, 32 years old. Uh, and, but I don't drive it very much. You know, so the impact of that vehicle is relatively minimal. Um, you know, but if you're driving an old car, you know, 50, 60, 70 miles a day, you know, for a commute, that's, you know, that's a very different situation. And, uh, you know, that's a vehicle that is probably worth replacing. You know, you're going to have a significant impact from replacing that with an EV. And, you know, if you're, Frank, if you're driving something that old, it's, probably because you can't afford a new EV. Um, and so, you know, you're going to probably going to replace that with a used EV at that point. Uh, but, you know, that's, again, that's a good thing. You want to, you know, once, once something has been built, you, you know, ideally you want to keep using it for as long as, as long as you reasonably can um, so that you're not consuming that energy and those materials to produce another one. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you're driving something exceptionally old, but you know, like you said, a lot of times when you're driving older vehicles, there's two reasons. Either it's it's something that's you're hardly driving at all, and it's almost become sort of a a classic thing that you have in your driveway because you love it, or you simply can't afford to get a new car. And if you can't afford to get a new car for the time being, there are very limited options when it comes to EVs if you want an affordable one. I know there's a good number of EVs out there, but very quickly you go from things that the average person to afford can afford to very expensive vehicles. It just don't make sense for most of us, whether they were an EV or not, most of us wouldn't spend that kind of money. So it, 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 it's a hard proposition for anybody when it comes to affordability, even if you want to do the right thing in terms of, of having something that's efficient and good yeah, for the Yeah, you need a $20,000 EV is what it comes down to. Because your yeah, average, yeah. Like, even if you get, even if it's thirty starts at thirty five or whatever, it's a usable EV. You're like, well, I get seven and a half thousand dollars of tax rate. Yeah, but if your tax, if your tax uh, liability isn't that high, then you're not really getting that money, and you're still paying all. The, it's the whole. Right. Yeah, it's a whole sort of crazy. Yeah, and then if, you, if you, you make, can lease you it, but forty thousand dollars. Yeah, if you if, make forty thousand dollars a year, you're probably not paying that much in taxes, you know, and you're not going to get that seventy five hundred dollars. Right. So it doesn't. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you're not you're not getting that yeah. stuff. Yeah. There's a whole group of people who will never help, and it's like that's awesome. There's a rebate that I will never you know, be able to take advantage. You get five hundred dollars off. You know? That's why you could you could lease, but if you're not making a lot of money, typically yeah. you don't have very good credit. As someone who you know, when we. You, and then the leasing is hard, and your lease is too. So you're still stuck in that. Yeah, can't yeah it's that all. Cash. It's a whole yeah. thing. But anyway, the the, the 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 moral of the story is we need twenty thousand dollars EVs. Someone get on that. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, well, that that's actually one of the things Mark Royce did talk about during the investor day. Is you know they're um, they've got they're going to have a thirty thousand dollar electric Equinox coming in uh, in the next couple of years, and they're also working on stuff that's closer to twenty thousand uh, dollars that should be out in the next few years so we'll see we'll see if automakers can actually achieve that uh, but at the very but least you want them to be 
Oh, but then you wonder too. Like sometimes they come out with these, and like this is this is going to be great. You look at it, you're like, but it feels like a play school car inside. Like they make it so they have to make other things so cheap in it. You're like, yeah. wow, is this like it's it's ugh, you know? You, well, where's well, that? You got to well, get good, that like. The good news is with even. all these new EVs coming, that there's going yeah you know, there's going to be a lot more used ones in the next few years. So hopefully, you know, people will be able to find some decent choices of used EVs. And, you know, in, in the U.S., they sell, yeah. about, they sell about three and a half times as many used cars every year as new cars. Most people, most people that drive never actually buy a new car in their lifetime. They only buy used cars. I've never and, purchased you know, a new car. Street. I've leased two new cars, but I've never bought a new car <laughs> ever. Yeah. Never, ever, ever. I'm like the human who's never bought in a used car. I've only ever bought new cars. I think I was afraid Fancy. of used cars for so long. Like, I was going to buy, a, like, the lemon. I was going to get all the lemons, and we're going to end up in my driveway, and it was going to be a bad choice having gone with a used car. And I'd be like, no, why did I do this? <laughs> uh, all right. Next up, uh, from uh, somebody called Rebecca Drives. Huh. Um, should features like Gosh, automatic pain. <laughs> should features like automatic parking have generic names like automatic parking or something brand specific like smart park? They should all have a uniform <sighs> name. We don't have like that when it's like ABS for brakes. It's not like you know they, they don't have eighty five. Toyota Breakathon. It's ABS. They have eighty five different. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Breakathon. Toyota Breakathon. Break like. We don't have all the... It's confusing. I actually had a website once where they asked... that My, my entire assignment was, we literally are creating a glossary, and it's going to be like a page for each OEM, and we're going to write what the name of the tech is, and then what the heck it does, because someone's like, lane keep assist, lane alert assist, lane keep assisting, lane keep assist, lane helpful, lane helper, lane... Like, it all means the same thing, and like the average person's like, what the heck? I think having a unified thing... I stopped using better. brand names for m most all of that stuff. I'm like, oh, it has adaptive cruise control. The driver's assistance system it has, uh, you know, adaptive cruise control and lane keep assist. And that's what they get. I, I, whatever their weird name. I remember having like, wait, what's it called? And then companies were changing their names. I think Mercedes changed the name like four times over the course of like two years at one point. And I was just like, A, no one knows what that is. And B, everyone knows what adaptive cruise control is. Just it's adaptive, you know, the driver's assistance package, their hands-free system. That's way easier than, yeah. Now, now that we have Blue Cruise and Super Cruise, and uh, yeah, it's too, too many, many things. things. It's too we're confusing. just gonna have to like just yeah. tell the automakers we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> yeah, we've decided <laughs> we're not paying attention yeah, to all your brand names. I, I, I agree. <laughs> I, I do the same when I'm when I'm writing stuff. I don't. Uh, so 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 far, I still use Super Cruise, Blue Cruise, you know uh, those, those level two systems because there there are enough differences between some of those, um, you know, that I need to distinguish those. But for anything that has become more ubiquitous, I just use the generic names, and you know, who cares who cares what the automakers call them in the press releases and the marketing materials. The infotainment system. All right. That's all you need to say. Yes. <laughs> Infotainment. Uh, and the last one is from, uh, from Adam. Uh, and you know, since it's now coming up on the middle of October, shockingly enough, and Halloween's just a couple of weeks away, um, if you were to design a modern car for the Munsters, what new vehicle would you start with? 
I believe George Barris actually started with a Model T. Happy Halloween. So what would you use as the basis for a new Munsters car? I would use a I would use a Challenger because it's got kind of funky lines to it. Like it's kind of different. I feel like you could have fun. I feel like you could turn things into scary bat-like wings and stuff. <laughs> Not like actual flappy wings, like like 1950s car wings. You know, you could I feel like okay, I'm That's what I was going to say. That's you it. could cut Challenger just, Demon. Just yes. Cut the top off like, the Challenger. Just cut it right. off. Cut you it cut, off. Yes. Like put yes. some, like get remove the trunk. Just made it like one long thing. Have that stadium seating, like you you, the, you had in the hot rod. Boom! You just got a Challenger. It's yeah. ridiculous. Um, you're gonna take any corners. Everyone's gonna fall out. Who cares? Uh, you're just going in a straight line. It's just it's big and loud and ridiculous. And that's what the Munsters car is. Um, yeah, a big yeah. loud ridiculous Challenger. <laughs> with the with everything cut up. Just <laughs> but, just give it. Take it to the shop. Go nuts. And you can you can paint it some crazy color and like your racing stripes can be like can be like black or like orange stripes or green. Green is evil yeah. and monstery, right? Orange like like you can leave, green. You can leave those little protectors oh. on so it really terrifies people, you know. Yeah, 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 gets there mad you at go. those. Right. Like, ah, why? Take them off, dang it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I'm not going to argue with that. I like that. this plan. I, I, I like that. <laughs> All right. And on that note, uh, we will call it a show. And uh, make sure you stay tuned uh, for the uh, interviews I did with Dave uh, Parasak and Darren Palmer. Uh, see you next time, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, everybody. This is Sam. Uh, this week, I had the opportunity to drive the 2021 Ford Mustang Mach-E GT, and while I was at the drive program, I got to sit down with a couple of the uh, subject matter experts, uh, executives involved with this program, uh, among other uh, Ford EV programs. I sat down with Dave Parasak, who was the engineering director on the Mach-E program uh, and has subsequently moved on to being the uh, director of future electric vehicles for Ford. Uh, apparently he's working on some very interesting stuff that he was not yet at liberty to talk about, but I did have a chance to chat with him about the, uh, the Mach-E GT and what separates it from the rest of the Mach-E lineup. Uh, in addition, I also talked with Darren Palmer, the director of uh, electric vehicles or the general manager of electric vehicles for um, Ford North America. And uh, let's, let's, let's hear from Dave first, and then we'll go uh, into Darren's conversation. Thanks. Dave, you were chief engineer on the S550 Mustang. Yes. Then you were engineering director on the Mach-E. Yes. Now you've got the Mach-E GT. What was, what were you trying to achieve with this one? And what, what did you do to make this a, a true Mustang that nobody could argue with? Yeah, so it's a great question. I mean, we first, to do this, we embraced Mustang. You have to know Mustang. You have to understand what it means to be a Mustang. And that's what really fueled everything around this GT, right? So it was pushing all the boundaries, um, including those things that we know to do. So I told you, we lowered it 10 millimeters. You know, we put the Magnaride, you know, um, uh, suspension on it. We, so everything that we, all the tricks that you'll, you know, that we pulled on the Mustangs, we definitely applied to this product. And so this was really just getting the right group of people together that know Mustang and said, if we're doing this, 
then watch this, right? And so when you marry it up with the instantaneous torque, you've got the future Mustang. So, what, I mean, what? Uh, okay, you lowered it. Uh, yep. What else? What else did you do to make to create GT from the standard Mustang? Wow, I mean, so so you, you got more power. Yeah, more a ton brakes. more power, right? I mean, you got 634 pounds of torque. Um, yeah, I mean, the Brembo brakes, you know, the brakes, what did you think of the brake system? It's amazing, right? fantastic. Yeah, right. So you have to have that stopping power and that linear feel of the brake system. You know, you have to have that. Um, the, uh, the character of a Mustang is something that um, there's a few people inside Ford that know how to achieve it. And then those who are lovers of Mustang know it when you drive it and when you see it. And that all came into this. It's, it's hard to, people always think it's like some uh, recipe book that I can lay in front of you that says, here's what you do. But there's so many variables that go into this that you have to understand what a Mustang is, how it's supposed to feel, how it's supposed to perform, and then you pull all the levers that you have at your disposal to achieve that. And that's what we did with this. I mean, when you drive this machine, if I blindfolded you and somebody, you would say it's a Mustang. You, you mentioned the brakes. Uh, you've got big Brembo brakes on yeah. here. Um, they're, they're still, I mean, they're not quite as big as what you would get on a V8 Mustang. Right. Um, are, on, on this one, uh, are you doing when you when you're using the brake pedal as opposed to just using regen? Are you blending regen and friction braking? Okay, because one of the things you mentioned, you know, linear brakes, and you know, it does feel feel really linear. I know that's that's hard to do. Uh, what you know, what what did you guys do to to get that that feeling that, that makes it feel so natural? Well, it took a it took a lot to figure that out because as you as you're leveraging the regen, which could feel unnatural. Right, uh, you have to blend that in so that you are getting that natural feel, the feel of your foot to that caliper, which is what Mustangs are known for. Right, I mean that's that 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 linear that linear um, feeling of that. So it was it was a lot of back and forth between how much regen is too much regen. And then, you know, how do you blend that to get that natural feel? And so our engineers did an amazing job um, with the software and everything to be able to, to stay on the side of my foot feels connected to that caliper versus, oh, that's regen kicking in. Mm-hmm. And, and that is, um, it's a tough balance, Sam, to be honest with you. It's, it's something that we took, it took a long time to achieve it. The first several attempts at it, you could feel the regen and it just didn't feel right. It just didn't feel natural. So, um We've got some proprietary uh, approaches to how we've done that, but it it, uh, it worked out to be where you know we're very happy with the result. I mean, it feels extremely natural. Was that was the software for that all developed in house, or was in-house. that with with your supplier in house? Okay, because yeah, that's I know you know having having worked on hydraulic electrohydraulic braking for hybrids, you know, back when I was still an engineer, it's it's a hard thing to do to get that seamless and super hard. You know, you, I, I, was not able to detect any transition there between friction and and and, uh, and um, the regen. It's good and, to hear you. It's very very predictable, uh, which especially on a performance car like this is really important. Predictability, knowing that you give it a certain amount of pressure, you're going to get a certain amount of decel. Well, and I'll tell you, and that's the other thing. So when you have an electric vehicle, um, the linearity of the accelerator and the brake mm-hmm. are hugely important, right? And what you hopefully you felt when you were driving today is how linear even the the, um, the accelerator pedal feels, right? Mm-hmm. With electric vehicles, you've got all that power that's instant. It's almost like a light switch. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just flip, and there it is, right? It's there. So the first time we, we went out and we did some of this stuff, we were not very linear 
in the delivery of that power. And you can imagine how you can upset a car, you know, as you're as you're in the middle of a, a turn and you're looking to blend the power, and you know, and, and you get a snap of power. So, um, creating that linearity, uh, both on the accelerator and the brake, were extremely important, not only for a performance vehicle, but also to get the feel of the Mustang. Because when you drive this thing, you also, you know, you'll feel that it's 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 spirited, it's lively. You can get the back end to step if you want to, not out of control, but that's typical of what Mustang is, right? Right, and, and even even when we first drove the uh, the, Ma- the other Machis a year ago, almost yeah. a year ago, um, that was one of the things I noticed right away was that ability to, you know, to as you as you back off, you know, uh, getting that weight transfer and getting it to turn, just getting with it weight to rotate, transfer. absolutely. Yeah, that, yeah that's. That's something that I wasn't I wasn't anticipating when I going into that. And you haven't been on the autocross yet, I don't Not think. Not yet. Not okay, tomorrow. so you'll you'll know tomorrow when you go there. With many Mustangs, because you've been around for a long time driving them, you can drive them with the pedal. Mm-hmm. And you're going to find that tomorrow you're going to be able to drive this with the pedal, just as you would a, you know a, you know a Mustang. You're going to get it to rotate. You're going to get it to do whatever you want it to do, but very little steering input and a lot of pedal adjustments. Right. Well, speaking of that. Um, one of the the new features that you've added on the GT is another variation of the drive modes. You've had whisper, engage, and unbridled. Now you've got unbridled um, extend. extend. So explain that. Yeah. So unbridled extend was so as you look at the EVs and what your challenges are with them, you have all the power in the world. You know it's amazing, but if you want to sustain that over a longer period of time, there's a lot you have to manage, uh, and so. What we did with Unbridled Extend is we said, look, we want spirited driving, but we want it over a longer period. So to do that, we do a couple things like proactively cool the battery. So if you go in Unbridled Extend, we know what you're anticipating to do. And so we set lower uh, cooling points, if you will, of the battery. We are anticipating the kind of heat that you're going to generate. And so we're already ahead of that, right? Um, We're adjusting the all-wheel drive system to change the bias. We give you what is typically a 50-50 kind of bias, we're going to go 60-40. We're going to give you 60 in the rear. Um, we're going to free up, you know, the the, uh, the stability and traction control. There's a lot of things that we're doing in the unbridled extent, but it's all around delivering a more sustained lap time and fun to drive versus a peak, right? Anyone can go out and run, a, a, you know, a one-lap, you know, flyer. Right. But if you want to go ahead and run sustained laps and have a ton of fun, over a longer period of time, that's what Unbridled Extend has been designed to do. So, for example, you know, if uh, I would assume you guys taking these things out to Ginger Men or somewhere mm-hmm. and, and, you know, spent days, you know, uh, testing this, you know, how, how long can it sustain the consistent level of performance? Yeah, so that's an awesome question but a hard answer to give you because, as you know, it depends on driver. It depends on, you know, conditions that day. It depends on a lot of things. But what I will say is it significantly increases the number of laps that you can run and achieve the similar lap times. That's all I can say. Because you know how it is. It's, yeah. It depends on who's driving and what's going on that day. But but it will significantly improve how many laps you can pull off. Yeah, I mean, track, track days are a very popular thing for a lot of Mustang drivers. Um, would somebody that drives a, an internal combustion Mustang today... Would, do you think that they would want to take this vehicle to a track day? And oh, would, for would sure. They, okay. Yeah, for sure. So, you know what? It's, uh, so, I, you know, I've spent a lot of time on the wheel of a lot of cars uh, and many Mustangs. The, the torque delivery and, and just the acceleration that you get out of this, it, you can't help but just smile ear to ear when you get out of this thing. This is a fun track day car. Now, 
There's no doubt. We're, we're pulling a lot of energy out. You know, we're depleting the batteries you know, sure. just like everyone else is. But um, but I will tell you that if you want to go have a ton of fun, yeah, you put it in an unbridled extent and you're just going to have a blast all day long. Did, um, did you have to make any major changes in terms of thermal management for this to, to keep the battery and the motors and things under control? Yeah, yeah, no, we did. We made a lot of changes with the GT. Um, because of the power delivery that we're requiring, you can imagine that from right from the core of the battery all the way through the entire wiring system and everything else, the kind of heat that you're actually going to generate. And so we've got a ton of upgrades inside the GT to be able to handle that thermal uh, and, and control the, the temperature. So, yeah, oh, yeah, for sure we did. Okay. Yeah. Um, anything else about uh, the GT that uh, people should be thinking about? Well, they should just be thinking that this is what... Other than it's, you know, it's as, it's as fast as the GT500. I was going to say, well, yeah, think about it. Think about it. We have a, a vehicle at a price that is just ridiculous that delivers a 3.5 seconds 0 to 60. Unbelievable acceleration, you know, instantaneous. you got to just go get one. I mean, you just got to go get one. All right. Thank you, Dave. All right. Always good to talk to you, man. Thank you, man. All right. Darren Palmer. Director of uh, EVs for North General America. General manager. Of General manager EVs of EVs these days for, for <laughs> North America for Ford. Um, so we were talking earlier. Um, you know, obviously we're here driving the uh, Mach E GT, which is a fantastic vehicle. Uh, but you know, there's all kinds of other stuff that goes along with owning a owning a, a, an EV and, and and having an EV business. One of those things is charging and. Um, Ford's been doing some interesting things on the, the charging front. You've got the, the Ford is it, uh, Blue Oval Charge Network. Charge Network, that's right. Um, but, you know, it's, it's one thing to just to have connections to all the chargers. But tell me about uh, what you're doing for reliability, because that's, that's been a thing that a lot of people have complained about yes, on non-Tesla charging networks. Yeah, so one of the things is the non-Tesla charging network, some of it is older, mm-hmm. and it's quite extensive. But it's, some of it's older. And so how do you guarantee the quality you need for customers? Because you never want to send a customer to one that doesn't work perfectly. So first of all, our strategy is to put together all the best networks in America. We made a software platform that's really easy to integrate to. And so everybody who we ask to integrates. And then people can approve it either with plug and charge or approve it on the app. Simply, only no cards, just that Through one the thing. app? Yeah, yeah, very on simple. Your phone or in the yeah. car. So we did that. Stage two, we monitor reliability from a distance. You can obviously wire it uh, remotely. We see 99.5% of people get a charge when they're going to get a charge. We also monitor first-time plug-and charge. Do they get exactly what they want? And less than 100% get first-time plug-and charge, which means it can be inconvenient for people. Not perfect. So we said this, this no good for us. And we're particularly getting ready for next year when we launch the Lightning, where people have trailers and things, and they just they can't afford any inconvenience. So we got to a certain level, be using remote, and there's many parts to the system. There's authorization negotiation with the car, payment authorization, and other signals. There's a lot of different signals there, and most of them we pick up when it's not working. Sometimes you can't. So I took the decision earlier this year, okay, we got it to high, but it's got to be perfect. So we started a program called the Charge Angels Program. So we have a set of Charge Angels, which are people with a Mustang Mackie that's fully instrumented, 
and we send them to areas where we haven't seen perfect authorization of the charges. They'll go and test them all themselves, and if they see an issue, they can at the same time pick up the whole digital trace of what went wrong. That gets fed back to our network immediately. So you know if the problem was in the car software or the charger or the And if if it cannot be immediately fixed, we'll remove it from the network. So we don't send anybody to a charger that doesn't work. Or, and we'll warn them immediately because on our car it shows you the rating and some feedback from the network. You can see that on the, in the vehicles. So you immediately start warning people. Obviously, we work with the networkers first of all. We tell them they also, they nearly always they're working really fast to try and fix it, so they may not have been aware because it, they can get stuck on. He was waiting for a signal for a car or something like that. So there's many different types of faults, and that's why I need to send people out at the moment until the network's almost perfect and then we can stop doing it so we wanted to accelerate reliability so that's what we're going to do yeah that that, that reliability um, is going to be a lot more important going forward you know today you know uh, do, you, do you have an, an idea of like, what what are the percentage of ev owners that um have that have off street parking at their home yeah i don't have that percent yet what i do have is how many like how many are charging at home and it's huge like eight, over 80 percent are charging at home because you can see them charging at night and and it's an extremely easy way it's a no-brainer way to own an ev you're never going to go back it's so convenient right if you don't have it we're thinking about that uh, and how to support them best one is having a very large network because if you don't have one at home you have the choice of driving to dc and charging and we have a huge network or searching for an AC nearby and maybe parking your car there overnight. And, and we have 63,000 plugs. So you, for a lot of people, they'll have one nearby and you can just park it over there for the night and charge it slow. So they, they both, both ways. I'm also looking at what might happen next. And I think there could be a thing that I'm calling grazing happen, where chargers start to be at lots of places for hairdressers. You know, the, the uh, supermarket store you go to, the clothes store. You start to, this and then, is where you're going to be for 20, 30, right. 45 You go minutes. and you plug and you go in and you come out and, you, and grazing, I call yeah. it. You opportunistic charging. Opportunistic, yeah. I think that that will grow as well. And for some people who don't have a charger at home, that can avoid them having to go and wait at a DC. Yeah. But because, we want to support both. Because yeah, once you get past, you know, because right now I think, you know, the early adopters of EVs, you know, are largely people that, you know, kind of have off-street parking, you know, they, they can they can charge at home. But as you start to expand the population of EVs and you start to get more and more EVs in the used car market, which is actually the majority of what people buy, you know, three and a half times as many used cars every year yeah. sold as new cars, you know, you're going to get a lot more people that don't have that off-street parking where they live in an apartment or they live somewhere where they have to park on the street. And reliability of charging and access to charging are going to be really critical for that population of drivers. Yes, it is. So what's great for customers is that already now you've got a network that size. It's it's pretty sizable. But a lot of the U.S., and you can travel a lot of the U.S. with D.C. now as well, especially with a 300-mile car. Um, But it's going to rapidly expand because now companies are starting to see people are buying the cars they're growing. Something like the F-150 Lightning, you can see that's going to be a 
very popular car and it's going to drive much more adoption and now it's worth investing in the network so we're seeing huge increases in the network over the next couple of years you're going to see it grow really really large um, and so reliability will be key because you don't want to inconvenience anyone by driving somewhere where it doesn't work so that's why we're concentrating on reliability now just making sure it's ready for them. One of the challenges that uh, I know I've experienced um, driving EVs, uh, especially in places that you're perhaps not familiar with, like this past summer I took a Mach-E and drove it from my home near Ann Arbor to Traverse City in northern Michigan. And, you know, there were places I, I, I charged it more frequently than I needed to, you know, because it had plenty of range. But I wanted to experience the, you know, charging at different locations, different different charging networks, and and one of the challenges I've seen not just on that trip, but you know, many times over the last several years, is actually finding the chargers. You know, the at you know, oftentimes, you know, on the navigation, will say, okay, go to this store, and you know, there's a charger there. Um, you know, or go to this parking lot, and there's a charger there, but they don't tell you precisely where it is. And unlike a gas station where they typically have a big sign sticking up 40 feet in the air that says, here's the you know, Exxon station or BP or whatever, you don't get that with chargers. You know, they're usually you know, five, six feet high. They don't stick up much above the cars. So are you talking to your network partners uh, about you know, how you can either make them more visible or get more precise location information in, in the nav to help? Yeah. I mean, that's in everybody's interest. So when we do talk to our partners, they're super keen to do that. We found a lot of them are just pure in the wrong spot. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, our navigation, I mean, many navigations now, they're accurate to within a meter or two. So there's really no reason why you, can't, you shouldn't route you right to the step of the charger. So if we find ones that are off, and we do, we then work with the provider to correct it. Why wouldn't we? You see, in everybody's interest. But really, your nav system should be able to take you right, right next to the charger, right? You just follow the thing on the screen. And um, a lot I'm following now, uh, DC fast charge, when I've been around the country, they can be in the middle of a car park somewhere, but you just follow the route on the screen, and it points yeah. you, and it drives you through the car park. You, I can see the lanes of parking in the car. As long as you've got that precise information. And you just pull up to it, yeah. So most DC fast, those ones. I've not had much problem with it. Some AC... But we allow information, extra information in there so we can fill up that information to tell people to. So you can see the charger and you think, ah, oh, there's five stories. I wonder which one is on the income right. It's on the fifth story. <laughs> so you can find it. Is there, uh, is there anything to allow drivers to uh, put that information in, you know, if they find something or, or to... You know, to provide some feedback about... Yeah, so at the moment, located. they can do that in some of the sharing apps. Okay. And, and we're talk- I'm talking about, you know, how can we allow more input? I'm also interested in... So we'll be, we're doing the Charge Angel. I'm asking, how might we get the fastest information for the next person? How, how can we help them? One, in- one way would be to allow them to input. So I'm talking about that at the moment so that they can... if it's they just found it's broken, it broke that minute, they can then input to help the next person. So this is something I'm looking at now. Of course, the software on the car can all be updated over, over the air, so it's a pretty trivial thing to do. But, I, I, yeah, that's something I'm thinking of. With anything that it takes 
to get the latest thing because if somebody ever does go to a faulty charger or it just went faulty I want them to be able to tell the next person yeah um, one other uh, issue around DC fast charging is you know for uh, you know, for, for reasons of protecting the, the life of the battery the, the health of the battery you know all all EVs you know as you get closer to 100% charge, they slow down, you know, because you don't want to overcharge the battery. That's that's bad. Um, the current Mach-E's, when you get to 80% state of charge, it drops from charging fast down to 10 kilowatts in a step. And that's going to change, right? Yeah. So that was one of those where we set up what we thought most people would use. It turns out to be, yes, that is what most people use. They charge at home. They go on a trip, and most trips, you're actually better to charge less than 80. It's faster, and go to the next charging stop. That's the optimum route to, for the maximum speed. But human nature can be, I want an extra buffer, or I would like to the most I can get. And it seems like they're not that happy with 80%, they'd like more. So we listened to that, said, okay, that's what people want. And we did a bit more research on our systems and said, can we give them a bit more and allow them to charge to 90 at a faster rate? Turns out we can. So we, we've just finished signing it off now. We're dropping it into cars for production just next month, and it will drop into over the air quite soon as well. So, so, that it so will people have bought the cars over the last year, they'll get an update. Yeah, it'll uh, go from 80 soon. to 90, yeah. And, and, yeah, surprisingly how many people talked about it, but we learned we, cause, because... We're listening, okay? And if people want something different, we'll listen to them. And that goes for many things. So we, we hear them on, oh, for example, hey, I love the interface, but sometimes I'd like a little X in the corner to tell me which, which window's open to close it, because there's no home button, right? right? That's part of the interface. So we heard you. So we put it on. So the cars you saw today, they have that on. And it is better. Yeah. And so we learn from the customer, and we change it. And that's the whole point, right? Um, and we did some things with the heat seat control. People wanted it a bit different. It wasn't clear there was an auto part to it. We thought it was clear, but it wasn't. So we changed that so you can see more clearly. And, and we're going to keep doing that. I, and I can improve, or my team can improve latency as well. So you'll see it, the latency is better on these GTs. It's faster. Yeah. And then it's just continuous improvement. It's great fun. I mean, we, never, we could never do this before. Yeah. And, you know, one, one other thing that you're able to do now is, you know, you talked about uh, improving the, the charging capabilities, but now when it charges, you're also going to have more more range than you had before. Yes, we are. So really proud of that one with the team. So um, we set up the vehicle to last for its full life, have a full warranty for eight years, it's at least 70% of its battery range. Of course, in real life, it's much more than that. So, but that's just the backstop. And we said, well, now we learned more about how people are using it and the conditions, and we can see all of the temperatures of the car. We say, well, we can probably give more because it isn't in that most extreme circumstance except very hot parts, Arizona going up a hill for hours. This is not most people. So if you're not in those conditions, why not give you more? And so we have decided to give more. So we, we, at the moment, we're going to give another 3% of battery. And that's also already rolled out in production and now is coming to everybody else over the air as well, who already bought the car. I mean, that's amazing. You know, I mean, this, this is one of the things that obviously Tesla pioneered, was this idea of, you know, your car, instead of 
you know, it being the same 10 years after it rolled out the assembly line, it can be continuously improved. You know, even even with the hardware that you've got, you can you can learn uh, from the way people use their vehicles and, and the feedback you get and make it better over time. So. It's amazing. I mean, we love it. We, and we never had that ability before. People love it. You prob- the thing you bought got better. It's like your phone. It's like your tablet. And, and these cars like these, it does feel more like a digital device than it used to. So, and it truthfully is. So you can do that. So we, we built into this car every module can be updated. Even things, the gear shifter can be updated. I don't know what we're going to do with the diff- gear shifter yet, but you can be updated. And we think something up later, we'll be able to do it. So, um, yeah, it's amazing. And um, um, we're giving range. You can potentially give performance. You can give mode changes, games, useful utilities, navigation, unlimited. So we're just getting started, actually. I mean, we're only in our first updates now. We did about 130,000 updates now, okay. something like that. We're just getting going, right? So, and you see in these cars, you see Sketch app and so on, but we got much more coming. Yeah, I think earlier today it was mentioned that uh, you know, for this first year of production, um, you're, you're going to be hitting the, the target that we had of about 50,000 units in the first year. Um, and you know, with the demand for this thing, are, are you increasing capacity? Yeah, we capacity? are. It's already going to go up significantly in the next year. Okay. And, and we're continuing to build up capacity because uh, we, we never advertised really the GT yet. We already sold out for the first model year. And that was a you know, more premium car. We sold about 50% performance edition as well which is even more premium car um, we're seeing massive demand so we are working on capacity continuously and the same on the lightning I've, I've, I've done huge capacity increases yeah the they've actually. already talked about yeah. you know, that, that you know they bumped the capacity for, for that from the Rouge Electric Vehicle Center to 80,000 units uh, double what was originally planned yeah and, and, and we're still seeing that demand rising from customers so it, it shows they're more ready for these products than we realized and part of it that they feed back to us was the extra things they do yeah. that's what they love so oh 400 litres of extra space they never had and they say oh it's almost like an SUV now I can store things under there it's much more useful for me then they see it as a leisure vehicle and then the bi-directional power has gone crazy so with incidents that have happened around the country people like the idea that they can be independent and really not for a lot of money mm-hmm. and much less than ever before and people like that so we're seeing a huge pull on that system at the moment we're getting ready to launch that. Very exciting. And, and there's also the e-transit, which is, should also be launching pretty soon as well. Yeah, that's launching right now. Um, and that one, you know, is quieter on some people's radar a bit because it's a commercial vehicle. But really, it meets the needs of a lot of commercial drivers. It has new high-tech uh, telematics for control of your fleet and efficiency. We have solutions for charging in depots. And in many cases, it pays back on day one. So if it pays back on day one, it means you can be more competitive than your competitors and you can make your business better. So it's kind of been quiet, but we've seen huge demand now and it's going to change the world. But, you know, it's a different type of vehicle, so you don't see as much news about it. Yeah, it's going to quietly become a leading yeah. delivery vehicle in the world. Yeah, yeah. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much, Darren. Thank you. It's a pleasure. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.